This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page and on Twitter at burn555555. Today, I am interviewing Jen Dupee about the Little French Bridal Shop. Jennifer is the eldest of a set of fraternal triplets, and she grew up seeking any quiet corner of the house so that she could read, write, or work on puzzles. Jennifer is a graduate of Brown University, where she received her honors in creative writing. She is an active member of the Grub Street writing community in Boston and has published in the feminist press. Jennifer lives in a historic house just outside of Boston with her family and is currently working on her next two novels. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Jen. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Well, I'm so glad you're here to talk about The Little French Bridal Shop. Well, why don't we start out by you talking just a little bit about the book. Give me kind of the quick synopsis. Sure. First, let me say thanks so much for having me. I'm just really honored to be here with you today. I'm so excited to share The Little French Bridal Bridal Shop with you and your listeners. Well, thank you. Well, I'm so glad you're here to talk with me about it. Anything that has Paris or France or French or anything in the title, I'm going to (laughs) read. Well, let me tell you about the book. Um, the book is set in motion when Larissa Pearl, my protagonist, returns to her small seaside hometown upon the death of her great aunt Ursula. She's in a bit of a bind because she's just lost her job and she's recently broken up with her boyfriend and she's struggling with her mother's failing health. And on a whim, she wanders kind of to the local little downtown into the local bridal shop and buys a dress, even though she has no groom. Soon word spreads all over town that she's getting married. And rather than dispel that rumor, she perpetuates it. Well, and that's the hard part about a small town. You spur the moment, feel like you're caught, and you answer in a way that you wouldn't normally. And then all of a sudden, everything has broken loose. And, you know, poor woman, she's stuck in this story. Exactly. And that's exactly what happens. She she wanders into the shop, and she's recognized by the shopkeep. And this sort of almost busybody but lovely woman assumes she's she's getting married because she has a ring on her finger and she's just returned home and she's walked into the shop and she kind of lets this little lie of omission go, but soon it snowballs into kind of one lie after the other. And then that just gets harder and harder. Like the more stories you build on, then you're thinking, well, I can't unwind it now. Exactly. And she keeps sort of thinking like, you know, it's just one small little, little ruse. I'm, you know, no one's really going to fixate on it, but it's a small town and they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, small towns are so great because everybody knows everybody and there's such a sense of community. But when something like this goes wrong, you're thinking, maybe I wish I weren't in a small town. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And in her case, she's thinking she's going to, she's not going to stay there for very long and she's inherited this house and her goal is kind of to fix up the house and get out, but she ends up getting admired in it. Well, how did you come up with the subject matter for this one? Yeah, you know, writing for me often starts with an image. I'm just a very imagistic writer. I love writing descriptions and I love settings. And so you'll see in this book that setting is is really vivid and and important. And in this case, the book started with two images. I grew up on the North Shore of Boston, Massachusetts. My, My grandmother lived for many years in this seaside town of Beverly Farms, which is next to Manchester by the Sea of the movie fame. And it's just a setting that's deeply ingrained in my psyche and one I really drew on as I created the fictional town and embarked on the opening pages of the book. I had this vision of this regal house kind of up on a hill, and I I intuited that my main character, Larissa, had inherited the house. And so I had this house in my head, and I had my main character, but I needed to kind of figure out where the story would go. About a year later, 
I treated myself to a writing weekend also on the North Shore to try to kind of uncover the story behind the house. And I had just finished eating breakfast in the dining room and was trying to settle into some meaningful writing, but I kept find my, finding myself distracted by this ridiculous large pattern wallpaper. So it's this large repeating pattern of tan pheasants on this navy backdrop, and they had kind of this, each of them had sort of a startled look, you know, their beak kind of slightly open. And I couldn't stop laughing when I looked at them, and I couldn't stop looking at them. And so the story really began there, with my main character, Larissa, taking a crowbar to the house wallpaper in an effort to discover the source of an apparent leak. She's grappling with her mother's failing health, and as she rips into the wallpaper, she's kind of not thinking clearly and, and not quite herself. And this is something I really recognized. It was something I really felt deeply when I was grappling with my own mother's illness and then subsequent death from breast cancer when I was in my 20s. And as I began to delve into the writing, I realized, you know, this was really a at the core of the story for Larissa as well. Well, first, I'm sorry about your mother. And second, um, you know, I think it's interesting listening to authors talk about being able to sort of incorporate some things from their personal lives kind of goes in line with that write what you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And it, it's interesting because Larissa is certainly not me. I wanted to explore the feelings of loss of identity and disorientation and confusion that consumes a child, even an adult child, who, who becomes a caretaker of an ailing parent. And so she really became the vehicle for that. And then how about the bridal salon? Did you have a, an inspiration for that? I did, actually. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my grandmother lived for many years in this small seaside town. And when I was in high school, there was a French bridal shop on the main street in, in Beverly Farms. And I think I actually shopped for my junior prom dress there. So I, I just, I did. I had this vision of this wedding shop. So it, it comes from real life. Well, Jen, did you have a highlight of writing the book? You know, I did. Um, my husband and I first started dating when I embarked on this book. And I've always had a fascination with old houses and the stories that come with them. And I discovered his love for old houses as well. And we, as we started dating, we often took neighborhood walks down a nearby road called Elmhurst Road so that we could admire a historic house there. Several years later, not long after we'd gotten married, the house went on the market and we made a bid. And we were super excited because by this point, I'd started the novel and the house in the novel is named Elmhurst in tribute to this to this Elmhurst Road house. And so I was thinking, oh, my God, we're going to get the house. This is going to be fantastic. Well, guess what? We didn't get the house. <laughs> <laughs> Too many bidders. We were outbid. But... During that time, we did find our own historic house nearby. Since then, I've also I've also had a daughter, so my daughter is now almost seven. I feel like this book has has even though it doesn't kind of cover that subject matter, it chronicles those years of sort of getting married, buying our house, having our our family. You tie it in with those happy memories that they kind of all progress together. I do, I do, yeah. Well, I'm a big title and cover person, and I would love to hear a little bit about how your title came about, how your beautiful cover came together, all of that. Yeah. So isn't the cover gorgeous? Yes. It, the cover is absolutely spectacular. <laughs> Thank you. So really, all credit is due to my editor, Leslie Gelbman at St. Martin's. She had a vision for this book from the from the very beginning, and um, 
she came up with the the title, but it was based on this bridal shop that I had planted into the book early on that, you know, that I already talked about. And, but she had the vision of the dress in the window from the moment she brought the book. And, and she really worked on that vision with Michael Storings, the artistic director from St. Martin's. And, you know, they got it right, really right away. So I, I, I couldn't be more pleased. They really did. And I even just love the, the chairs and the table with the flowers and then that, I, oh, I guess it's a plant, but it looks like ivy on the side of the building. The whole thing is just beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm really lucky. Well, how long did it take you? It sounds like a little while from what, what we were just talking about, but how long did it take you to write The Little French Bridal Shop? I'd say about three and a half, four years, somewhere in there. You know, it's always hard to chronicle the exact time given that I'm working and, and doing other things, but but roughly that amount of time. Do you have a set writing schedule? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I find that it varies from, you know, given the time of the year. But I I try to carve out some time on Saturday morning. So, you know, Saturday from sort of, you know, nine to to noon. And then also I'll try to get up early during my work week and carve out an hour or so there in the morning. What do you do for your everyday job? I work for an operations manager at a biotech company in Boston, um, or outside of Boston, really, but totally different than my writing job. But when when I was when I I knew I really wanted to pursue my writing career, I, I wanted a job that had a certain amount of kind of stability and practicality to it that would allow me to explore my creative life outside of work. Well, and it is nice because those must be true opposites in terms of what you do during the day and then try and do the writing. So neither one is kind of infringing on the other. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was seeking for when I was looking for this job. Mm -hmm. Well, I know this book is just coming out into the world, but everybody always wants to know, are you working on anything new at the moment that you would like to share with me? I am, and I'd love to share. So I have two projects in the works at the moment. One of them is really still gestating, and so I won't talk too much about it yet. But it's, it's probably along the lines of the Little French Bridal Shop. The other is is fairly different. It's a first-person narration told the, from, from the perspective of a seven-year-old girl. Her mother is pregnant, but the story is really set in motion when a strange man arrives at the foot of their driveway and claims that that baby could be his. So, Oh, that sounds good. I mean, they both sound good, but that sounds very intriguing. It is. It's it, it's a book, I, I'm, you know, it's really different than The Little French Bridal Shop. But, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, I really love descriptive writing. So there's lots of description. I don't know if you're familiar with Neil Gaiman um, and his work, but some of his shorter works has kind of that fairy tale feel. And that's what I'm going for. My middle daughter loves his books. And I'm trying to think of, is it The Good Omen? Is that the one that was then made into a TV show? There are several, but yeah, that, that might okay. be right. Mm-hmm. She's read that one and then watched the show and then read it again. I was thinking of The Snow Child when you were talking about kind of a fairy tale feeling. I love that book and it's like that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, what do you like to do when you're not writing or reading or working? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, spending time with family. So I have, I mentioned my seven year old daughter, but I also have my amazing husband and three stepchildren who are with us for part of the time. So I have a stepdaughter who's 20 and two boys who are 18 and 16. And so we get out and spend a lot of time together. I love to play tennis lately. That, that's one of those things that I've been doing in COVID because I feel like it's something you can do in a big space that's relatively safe. And, you know, lastly, I love to travel, but haven't done that lately, but looking forward to the time at which I can. 
Me too. That's actually one of my favorite things to do. And that has been one of the hardest parts, I think, is just not being able to do that. But I mean, I know we're all in the same boat and there are way bigger problems, but I look forward to when we will be able to travel again. No, absolutely. And, you know, I feel incredibly lucky to have my home, my family, my job, my health. And so while COVID has been very challenging, I know that many others have been impacted much more greatly. So me too. And that's what I was saying. Like when I'm I'm saying, oh, I'd love to travel, I, I do realize that we have been very lucky, but it will be nice for everyone when all of this is over and we can get back to some of the things we all like to do. Oh, absolutely. It, it's funny because every, every now and then, you know, I take a jaunt up to the North Shore of Boston, which is 30 minutes away. And just the drive, just driving somewhere different feels incredibly <laughs> illuminating and spectacular. <laughs> so funny that you say that because I, you know, normally spend a lot of time in my car. Houston's a driving city, and um, but I haven't at all during the pandemic. So every once in a while, when I do have to go get in the car and drive somewhere for like 30 minutes, I just, I'm so excited to have the radio on and just in my car peacefully driving. And I was like, who knew I'd actually ever look forward to this, you know? So it's one of those things, just silver linings, I guess. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's funny how our perspective really has changed due to the pandemic. It, you know, it's really interesting. It is interesting. And there's definitely been some some positives. I think the slowing down of life and, you know, spending more time with family. So there definitely have been some very positive things. And hopefully that will sort of reshuffle priorities and things like that when we come out on the other side of it. Well, Jen, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked and would recommend. Yeah, I, you know, I have a bunch of books on my list. So I, I recently read Mary Beth Keene, Ask Again, Yes. I thought it was fascinating. It was a, a dive into a family, two families who are struggling with mental illness and kind of the repercussions of that. And it's something I might embark on on one of my projects. And I sought it out for that reason. But, you know, I just really took my time with it and, and enjoyed it. And then another one that I read just before Christmas, Louise Miller, The Late Bloomers Club. She's a local Boston author. And um, it's just heartwarming and funny and, and well-crafted and clever. And so it's a lighter read, but just a really great read to kind of perk you up. And then lastly, Desmond Hall, who is another local writer, but with roots from Jamaica. So he was born in Jamaica. So one that was a, a totally different read for me, um, but also fantastic. It's called Your Corner Dark. It just debuted, and it's about um, a high schooler who's looking to gain a scholarship to the United States and then he gets sucked into this kind of gang world in Jamaica and he's got to make some decisions to figure out whether he'll be able to take that scholarship or not. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm not familiar with that one. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a great guy. I've read Louise's first book, which I really like, and I have the galley still. I know it's been out for a while. For her second one, I just I haven't gotten to it yet, but um, she's delightful when I've interacted with her on social media, and I, I really like her writing. She is delightful. So, you know, I know her. She's a friend of mine. She she gave me um, a blurb for my book, and The Late Bloomers Club is very similar to her first book. But I, I will say, you know, she, her Twitter account, for instance, Follow her Twitter account, people, because she. I look for it when I'm kind of having a down day. She just has really great observations and musings on life. And, you know, she's watching the birds out her window. And it's so heartwarming. She's just she's so genuine and so real. And, you know, I couldn't say enough good things about her. Well, good. Well, that will prompt me to move that one up the list. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time and for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Cindy, thank you so much. It was a great way to spend um, a half hour, and I, I really appreciate your time and looking forward to sharing the book with the world. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Jennifer's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, or on the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront. The link for both is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.